You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. Your host, as always, Trent Fleskins, in with you this morning. Hasn't it been a chaotic time in the last few weeks? Where there is chaos, there is opportunity, I guess, for a lot of people selling land right now. And for some people as well, looking to get into their first home or build their next home, uh, a lot of people to see opportunity in that as well. Pros and cons to this conversation in terms of risk and opportunity. I think the most pragmatic person to have that conversation with is Mike Valletta, Senior Director of CBRE Valuations. Mike, thank you very much for coming in again. It's been a, a few months, hasn't it? been a year maybe. Has Trent. It's been a little while since we uh, caught up. Very topical, obviously. The property market started for the first quarter of this year to show some really great signs prior to COVID. And Perth was starting to really, in terms of vacancies, investment properties, land sales, was starting to once again start to see some see some positive momentum. That was off its own back before the grants were even a consideration. Yeah, it was. There was certainly a correction had occurred for the last three to four years, and now we've certainly got some ground to make up. As I said, most of the developers were reasonably comfortable with the way the year had panned out. Then COVID struck. Things changed a little bit. Having said that, most of our values are actually reporting that things didn't change too much in terms of values. It was like, for me, uh, I spoke with Brendan Ptolemy about this a couple of weeks ago. Mm. If you look at the data and you didn't know there was a pandemic, it was a bit like a Christmas, New Year's blip. Values around the metropolitan area certainly reported no um, lack of sales or lack of evidence in many respects and no sort of downward trend in values. In fact, some of them, particularly in the eastern suburbs and lifestyle properties, suggested there was greater demand. And and I guess that's the interesting uh, dilemma of what we've experienced recently is in terms of how our buying habits and how our living habits will change as a result of COVID. When I speak to builders over the last couple of weeks, they didn't actually want the grant, or at least they didn't want the 20 on top of the 25. What they could foresee, which is just happening straight right now, is that a bottleneck creating in terms of suppliers and subcontractors and that prices invariably will have to go up because they're going to have to pass those increased costs on instead of Steve building for a dollar a brick steve's now building putting his bricks up for a dollar fifty or two dollars a brick and the builder has to pass those costs on that then obviously um, is in lieu of all the grants and some would say that a lot of that grant money is going to go straight into the subcontractors and builders pockets and not actually assisting any value to the client at the end of the day if we go back to and i always recall late 2009 the first homeowner's boost the 21 yeah we got uh, an increase in terms of medium house prices we had uh, the rental market then started to soften we we dragged all those buyers into a small section of about six to nine months and and it probably took two to three years to filter out that same supply or level of demand that sort of was saturated within a small short period of time that is once again one of the ongoing concerns that we do basically compress our buyer pool into a short period of time a really good point. So with regards to that, would history tell us that after these grants expire, so let's say in 2021, you would not be expecting to see that further continually fueling, but coming back a little bit to some some level of normality? Yeah, look, as you would know, most of the land sales agents are reporting uh, massive interest and inquiry. 
The developers are, are looking for more land. The builders, as you touched on earlier, will be under pressure in terms of their tradesmen. When you sort of suck it into a short period of time, it has a, a much more medium effect. It has a short-term positive effect and then potentially a, a medium-term effect in that respect. So we would expect there would be some level of correction at the back end of these grants. Having said that, these grants are far more than I think we've ever seen, in certainly in my lifetime. So the challenge is in terms of how we deal with them. And I guess at the back end of these grants, when the valuations start coming through, because as valuers, we report on sales evidence and, and the evidence to us is in the established market. So the challenge in terms of how the established market reacts to that. And the interesting point on that is if you asked, you asked me two weeks ago, how will the established market react to these grants? I would have said that, and I did say that these grants will assist the new building market at the expense of the established market. But the funny thing that I've noticed anecdotally, especially from a lot of agents that I've spoken to in the last fortnight is it's actually fueled along the same level as well. Uh, I was putting an offer in on a development block uh, last week and a guy paid $80,000 more than I would have for that same block in, in Willoughby. Uh, there was no building component to that at all. So it's a, at that point in time. So it's a it's a very interesting market that it seems like there's some residual level of interest and FOMO coming in across the board and not just with the people who are looking to get some money to build. The development market is fueled by uh, a feasibility in terms of what the end revenues will generate, the mm. gross revenues will generate out of the development. If the end product prices have risen, then obviously that would reflect on the demand for development sites. That's a punt people are making though because we can't prove that a triplex, for example, have risen $30,000 each to add up to what the difference is between what I would have paid and what this guy has just paid. They're making some punts that I guess the market's going to continue to push through over the next 18 months. Maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong. We don't have a crystal ball. Yeah, the crystal balling I was going to touch on is is always a challenging one. As valuers, as you know, um, one of the issues with us is we look in the revision mirror in terms of transactions that have occurred. But, you know, good values are often look at what's on the market and what is happening in terms of the dynamics of the market. But I think, you know, that the point is you touched on the development side. I'm not sure that would impact on single residential in the same way. Yeah. Now, you had a meeting with HIA uh, and that group last week. What was the message you gave to them in terms of how your team and I guess the, the industry of valuers will be uh, approaching you know, the land plus the build cost and comparing that to current sales revenue with the established market. Are these going to stack up for people, whether it's on the land estates or it's in the established suburbs? Uh, you know, what I'm seeing is that the guy who's selling his subdivided block at the back of his house suddenly is sold at 50 grand more than it was worth last week. The building company is probably building it for 30, 40 grand more than they were building it for last week. Suddenly we're at $100,000 nearly in, in extra cost to get that thing built, but the market hasn't moved that quickly in the rest of the established market. How do you explain that to a bank and, say, and tick it off and say, yeah, it's a good, it's a goer? Yeah, Trent, I think in, uh, in infill pockets, uh, more established areas, I think we've seen some reasonable sort of demand. I think some of the greenfield sites, it's always a little bit of a challenge because if you think about it over time is the age-old supply and demand. If we're putting more supply into the market, then it uh, becomes a challenge in terms of price rises. So as valuers, as I said earlier, we, we can only really rely on evidence that's available to us. Often that's obviously established sales evidence of properties, hopefully within uh, new to sort of two to three years old, we'll rely on that evidence. So if we see that part of the market rising, then it will only be good in terms of the end product of the valuation that we provide. If we don't see any growth in that market, it becomes a challenge for valuers to stack up the cost. 
The reality is, though, the banks are going to be coming to you within the next couple of months mm. relating to build contracts that are being signed in the next couple of months. I just personally, and this is just my view, I can't see the established market moving enough to make up for that increase in land and build costs that have come in in the space of a week. Yeah, uh, you would not think it would sort of move so significantly in such a short period of time. The housing market, if you once again breaking back to the fundamentals, is population growth, employment, and 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 wage growth. So they're they're the key fundamentals of of a rising market. It would be a challenge in order to find sort of established sales that would stack up to support the additional cost. Mm. But but having said that, it's it's a great benefit for the consumer in terms of these grants, and it sort of does. I, hopefully it does do what it's sort of set out to do in terms of increasing employment. A massive multiplier effect. Yep. Yep. And we can't forget that whilst these grants, in my opinion, won't assist the end consumer as much as they expect it to, they will assist the subcontractor and yep. the people working in the building companies, new jobs in that space, getting paid more per brick uh, on, yep. on site. Those people are also consumers at the end of the day as well. They may also be assisting with the economy, with what they're spending because they're making more money and becoming um, higher profile buyers themselves in the market. Of course, Trent, um, domestic construction is a massive driver in our economy. So in that sense, it will have a positive effect. Can we break it down even further, just in general, how does a valuer assess a loan application for a new build? What are the components? And so just so that everyone out there can understand if they do get, for example, a negative, some negative feedback from their bank when they're trying to build a place in a suburb, the valuer has come back and said, there's no comparable data to show that your property will be worth remotely near what you're paying for it. How, how does that occur? What are the fundamentals yep. there about your job? Once again, I guess in terms of assessing the loan, that's not our role, but we, um, we are provided with information, construction documents, land contracts to a certain number. Uh, we then uh, determine whether that building contract is within reasonable building parameters in terms of cost, which most of them are. So that'll be an interesting first analysis for us in terms of how the costs have changed over the course of last month. You're on. You're hot off the press. You're on. You got your finger on the pulse with that. Well, we would be doing sort of ten to twenty a day of new construct. So we're analysing building contracts on a re- very regular basis. So we are seeing prices sort of move. We're seeing what you know what builders a building we do analyze on a rate per square meter which is a little different to as i understand the builders do um, their costings but for us that's our unit comparison then when we go out and do sales um, comparisons we obviously compare with like for like obviously in most cases you don't get a lot of brand new sales of houses Uh, we have to analyze sales of properties that are sort of one two three years old at best Mm. and in some of the newer states there's not a lot of those sales available so it then becomes a little bit more subjective in terms of how far we cast our net in terms of finding evidence. But most good valuers also look at what's on the market and that certainly does help to determine a cap in terms of value because it's no use valuing a property where the adjoining property's on the market at a lower price. Those things are great indicators for us. That's where I personally, and you might not be able to have a view on this, Mike, but that's where I personally think is going to be a bit of a struggle for a lot of people looking to build their dream homes in the inner suburbs and also out in the fringes where our market currently for the established market on a you know 10 year cycle is subdued even though we've had good you know strong fundamentals the last 9 year, 9 months it is still subdued uh, and it hasn't changed overnight however the price for land and the price for builds have changed overnight and people are price takers and consumers in that regard when they're building their new home whether it's in Alcamos or it's in Heathridge or it's in Morley it doesn't matter. 
those costs have all gone up overnight. And I just think your job is going to be really hard in the next few months to not be turning a lot of these clients down, unfortunately. Yeah, look, um, you're right. The last 10 years would reflect in most markets around Perth, there's been no real growth. We're probably at that same point. And you're exactly right. The last nine months have been positive, particularly the second half of last year. And as you as you sort of identify the first quarter of this year. So we are starting to see some traction. Our job is difficult in that respect because it's not simply a case of adding land cost plus build cost. Some Did that used to happen? Uh, Were there I, ever policies I, with banks where that was the way that it was done? Well, I started valuation in 1984, so I've never been aware of that. Um, we've always, and it was back then I was with Town and Country, so... Which is ANZ these That's days. right. So they were the largest developers, as you know, both them and R&I were probably the largest developers in the 80s in, in Perth. We had our own in-house valuers, but once again, they had to determine the security of the asset for the bank. So as much as they might have liked to stack up land plus build, uh, it's important to get the security or the asset value correct because that obviously impacts on the bank's lending capacity. Well, you've got a lot more transactions to compare with at the moment. In the last two months, the transaction numbers have gone from 500 up to 750, down to 250 in, in April, back up to 500, and then the last two weeks, 800 and something and 1,000 and something. Unbelievable numbers of transactions. I don't think we've had 1,000 sales in a week, even in the boom. It's next level what's going on right now, and there's a lot of work out there, obviously, for real estate agents. Yeah, real estate agents are doing well. Valuers, we, to be fair, over the last three months haven't um, softened in terms of our volumes all that much. There has been a slight softening, but uh, that's around the country. But other than that, um, we've been reasonably steady in the last three months. Surely you're hiring new people t- today. It would be nice. Uh, it would be nice, but we still have capacity amongst our valuers. We've got 25 valuers running around doing their work within the metropolitan region so and the southwest. So they have great market feel for, for the areas they do. They might only do eight to ten suburbs, so they've got great market knowledge. They're seeing the signs go up. They're seeing the incentives go up. They're seeing uh, everything happening on in real time every day. So um, that's really important in terms of having a great feel for your localized market. When it comes to the stuff you're seeing that's actually stacking up yep. and when might stack up well in the next few months, is there a profile of a client who's looking to do something that you go, you know what, that's a really good idea. It's a good way to use those grants. The properties that generally stack up better are the ones where you know land sale is fair and reasonable. There's enough evidence to support that without the obviously high level of incentives. Building contracts where there's no massive variations, uh, where the builder comes in and does their stuff. Stacking up with uh, luxuries often in these markets in the outer areas doesn't stack up. So you just need to be a little bit more sensible in terms of the product you're putting out there on the market for it. And, and the term stack up is in terms of cost is near enough value. Once you start putting your add-ons, your variations, your pools, um, all of that, it, it, it's really difficult to determine that um, evidence would support cost. Especially in the outer suburbs where every suburb has its own pretty unique price point, you know, 20, 30 grand, then it's the next suburb, right? If you go and spend that extra bit too much in that one suburb, uh, putting in a bit too much spec, most people just won't pay that price for that suburb. They'll just go to the next suburb and they'll be in that space. So I think there's a risk for people there. For me, the smartest people in this space who are using this money are ones who are probably already going to do something and this just helps to de-risk any increased build costs or at the very least, or or the best, has an opportunity for them to get some savings. And I would suggest one of the smartest things to do would actually be buy a full block, buy an old development site 
uh, even if you couldn't do the development on there and build your home at the front. And one day there would be value in the back to do a subdivision if you can afford it in the future. Up until that point, it could be your backyard. It ticks two boxes. Um, primary place of, re- of residence it, and also gives you opportunity and options if you're going to make some money out of your property. I think that that's a great thing. But in most cases in, in sort of greenfield sites, and I've had a personal experience in terms of, you know, you, you want to build what you want to build. You want to build your dream home. Yeah. Just just be mindful that if it doesn't necessarily cost and value at this point in time don't uh, equal that if you're there for some period of time, you are getting massive benefits in terms of that product. You're enjoying the lifestyle that you've created, um, the design you wanted, the finishes you wanted. So if you can overcome the short-term pain, you're gonna have some potentially longer-term lifestyle benefits. Mike, thanks very much for coming in just to chat about the realities of how this is going to play out over the next uh, few months, I guess, and possibly the next few years. This could, the optimists could see this as the real Kickstarter to our next cycle. Uh, I guess the pessimist would see this as too much too quickly. But regardless, the increased level of transactions, the increased level of interest in the market surely has some positives in terms of getting people activated. Because there is still, contrary to most belief, I think, a lot of money around Perth. It's just been sitting very dormant for a very long time. Sure has, Trent. This might extract some of it, I'm sure. Okay, so the spotlight time now. We are talking about one of Perth's Inner city suburbs, super small suburb, really low number of transactions, but one of the most accessible suburbs, in my opinion, in terms of walk score and in terms of lifestyle gentrification, schools as well. So much to talk about today. We have one person to speak to. That's our number one agent, as always. It's Craig Gasper from Duet. Thanks for coming in, mate. Thanks, Trent. Craig, I reckon we start back before you and I were born. I love doing a bit of history, a bit of fun facts. Can you give us a bit of that context of what West Leaderville meant to Perth before it was, you know, one of the more expensive suburbs in Perth. My house that we're in was built in 1895. It's got a beautiful rear extension now. The amazing thing is when I first moved to the area, you know, I didn't quite understand some of the background behind the area. My mum's mum actually went to the primary school. We've talked about that side of thing within the family. I know Bob Hawke, he obviously lived at 101 Tate Street and went to Perth Modern. But back in the day, Lake Munger was actually a rubbish chip and slowly the town of Cambridge done a fantastic job with it and it's one of the most it's a desirable. Pristine place. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, everyone loves it. Like I've, I've, I walk around it a lot of mornings. Yeah. Um, with with a good mate. Um, very early actually. So I feel back then, why would you buy a house so close to the tip? To the train yeah, line. Yeah. But yeah. now it's you've got the lake on your doorstep, and it's you know the value of the properties along Clune and down that that far end of St Leonard's Avenue and Blanco is you know a, a high dollar properties. You've got the hospital right there as well yeah, that's been there for decades isn't it yeah so the hospital the obviously the cathedral up at the top of mccourt street this the school must now be you know 120 years old the, and, and i think the thing is now that west has become such, such a desirable place it's you know and they've had to add to the school one of the one of the positives is a fantastic community one of the negatives is the lack of space for the kids to run around because there's so many young people moving to the area and well, that has surely been remedied by Subiaco Oval, which is a massive part of West Leadable's history being knocked down. And now you've got some fantastic grassland for kicking the footy, right? Yeah, look, we're, we're pretty lucky. Our, our house is down that end of West Leadable between Cambridge and, and Railway. And 
they will be doing a, a crossover footbridge across the railway to the oval and but our kids are utilizing that all the time obviously that that oval is actually set up for the Bob Hawke College to use for their kids through school hours so whether there's an agreement with West Leadville Primary to be allowed to do that I know that when my boys were all at the West Leadville Primary School and a lot of our athletics carnivals, we had to use other school spaces, other wow. primary school school spaces, where a lot of the running was done down at Lake Munger. A lot of the sport and activities they do at Cowden Park, but you know Cowden Park's a dog park, so you know yeah. you've got to watch out there as bit well. Stinky, yeah, but a bit dangerous. Yes, great teachers and a fantastic PNC. Like the the parents that get behind the primary school, some of the things and the opportunities our kids get because of the community that we have. So it is still a family suburb. Oh, it's not your young yuppies working in West Perth? Well, one of the problems, I guess, when I call it a problem is once you move to West Little, you don't want to move out. It is really, really tightly held. and There's hardly any transactions. So not a lot of transactions. I'd say as far as family-type homes go, like, you know, obviously you've still got all your apartments and bits and pieces, but as far as, far as your family homes go, there's probably about 25 transactions a year. Yeah. So I tend to find, and, and there's a reason behind that. I moved from McCourt Street, to St. Leonard's Avenue, I moved 400 metres. <laughs> and only because we were in a three by one and I needed more toilets But uh, yeah. with three boys. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, once you're in the area, you're stuck there because it's just such a, a fabulous place to live. Well, that, that's what I want to hear. And it's interesting how those suburbs that were the workers' cottages, your single workers, you know, back in the day, yeah. or just coming in and out of the city or working at the tip or something like that, it can it can translate over time into being something with so much amenity like the hospital, like, the, you know, Subiaco Oval for decades, like Bob Hawke School, like the primary school, like Munger, all these things, the train station. When you think about ticking those boxes, West Leadable hits all of them. I think the only thing, as you, as you referenced, that is a downside for West Leadable is just there's just not enough places to actually live to yeah. be to enjoy the suburb yeah and so to a degree you know obviously the government's obviously trying to create more infill and, and more density more density i guess what we've got to be careful there is is the fact that the school's nearly going to be at its capacity so we've got to be mindful of that and the same with bob hawk college you know that the intake's going to be from a lot more suburbs than just west Leadville. it stems right out to mount hawthorne west perth in a city and parts of Wembley, so and Subiaco, so even into Jundana, I think. Yeah, in Jundana, so that's going to have enough intake as it stands anyway. So, the more infill is going to put pressure on on some of those those our primary school and the high school. But along the railway and how they do it, that's going to be one thing that we've need to be mindful of. As far as the area goes, and you made so many good points as far as what it's close to. You stand in a home open and talking to people about what brings you to the area, but it's inner city living at its best. You know, your walkability, as you mentioned earlier, but to be able to get in your car, I've got a couple of rescue dogs and in summer we'd go to the dog beach in South City Beach and it's seven minutes in the car. Mm. You know, you think about any capital city in the world where you can be in the city in six and a half minutes, you can be at the beach in about seven, yeah. you'll walk to two different train stations where a five kilometre bike ride to the new stadium. I think that's the best bit about inner city living is being close enough to be there, but not so close that it impacts your life on a daily basis if you don't want it to be. It's private yeah. enough. Absolutely. That's the cool part about West Leadable. In terms of your buyer and your seller, give me a characterization. Are there a lot of 
deceased estates when they are selling because people are holding so long or a lot of older people moving out? What would be the nature that you see most often when you come and speak to a seller, sit down with them and say, why are you selling? It's across the board. Like, you know, I've, I've just sold a number of properties and most of it will be the people upgrading or obviously the, the downside situation. But it, it's actually the, the, the biggest thing is they want to upgrade to something within the area, but there's nothing to upgrade nothing to. There, yeah. And, and that's where your difficulty lies. So the demand for the properties, like I am writing, I just sold 20 Tate Street. I wrote five offers on that property. It was a three by two weatherboard. I appraised it thinking one three to one four. And all my offers were very much in sync with where I appraised it. And I sold it for one four eleven in the end. Yep. Which, which in this market across most properties in Perth, if you got over the appraisal, you're doing really well. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And that demonstrates, again, another example of how this is not one homogenous market in Perth. As much as there is you know, questionability about the strength of the outlying suburbs in Perth, it continues to show statistically, anecdotally, within 5 to 10 k's of the city, the market is really tight. It's strong. There are numerous offers on nearly every good property uh, and they're selling. Absolutely. It's a lot stronger market than it was a year ago, isn't it, Craig? I feel it is. I sell, and I know we're here to talk about West Leadville, but I sell Wembley, West Leadville because obviously- They overlap. Yeah, overlap. And I'm heavily involved in, my kids play down at the Wembley Footy Club and, and so I'm heavily involved in the sporting community within- and uh, same happens within the Wembley market. You know, those, both those markets, if you're bringing on a good family home, you've got such strong demand for it. And it doesn't even have, have to be a family home. Like I just sold uh, one on McCourt Street to downsizers buying in the area, you, you know, because of its walkability and mm. its access. So Cambridge it, Street's getting a bit busier. It's getting a bit more of a cafe strip vibe. I feel like it, it has a way to go as well still. I feel like it could be better. Yep. Yep, and it it's probably it's get... only a downside. I would have thought, and in terms of West Leadville and what it could and should provide, if you think about how the location, you compare it to like a, a Richmond or a St Kilda, it could be that. Yes, I don't know why it's not. Yeah, look, I think that's just the strength of you know where where things are at as far as having the right sort of retail frontages to attract those sorts of people. Besk has just opened up down on Railway Parade opposite the train station. And they did an amazing job with their fit out. It's incredible. It's a great little small bar. And for what they've done, they're, they're drawing big numbers. Highland's just a great little place on the corner of Abbotsford there. And they do the back bar and they do, you know, their seven days a week with their breakfasts and lunches. And again, they did an amazing fit out. But just finding those opportunities. We've got Mary Street, Myrtle Ivy's a great little place. And even the guys at the Wine Fleet, they've done a great job. And, you know, I could rattle off quite a few butters and piccolos. And so we're very fortunate. Well, maybe there are some hidden gems that I haven't even heard about that we need to go check out. Yeah. Oh, there's plenty you need to check out. Yeah. Like, um, they're, off, they're just off Cambridge Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely off Cambridge Street. I don't know whether you've heard of a little place called Fugu 8. That's at the West Little Shopping Centre there. And the beautiful couple that set that up, he used to be a head chef at Ria and they do, you know, you walk in there with a bottle of wine and you go and get a, a fantastic Asian meal. You know, there's some great little places starting to pop up and that'll continue. It's just probably the lack of areas and opportunities where they can open. Yeah, the commercial um, zoning for it. Yeah, yeah. That You know, you go to Nowhere Man, there's a little microbrewery at the back over towards Southport Street over the back there. So there's there is other little hidden gems that, you know, we need to be aware of. Let's talk about price points. How cheap can it be to get into West Leadable? I guess, I guess we can start with an old flat, right? Yeah, look, had a, uh, a one by one on the market 
um, the other day looked pretty run down, talking mid ones, uh, yeah. mid one hundred thousands, yeah. and I thought, geez, we haven't seen those sort of price points for a while. Seems like across the board in Perth, it doesn't matter where you're in Mozzie Park or East Vic Park or West Leaderville, if you're in those old shitty BGC flats, you you, you can buy one for mid ones, which yeah. is cheaper than renting. Yeah, there's look that one needs a lot of work. At the same time, you know, Trent, the apartment market's taking a bit of a hit, so there is plenty of that sort of opportunity for people to get into West Leadville at a price point, and it's always a stepping stone for a lot of people as well. For me, I still think you know what a great place to invest as far as you know you'll always get a tenant. So you start off at price points for the apartments and whether it be the older ones or something a bit newer. I just sold a two by two by two for five forty, but sadly my sellers bought that off the plan for six thirty five. Yeah. So, but it, it transacted within two weeks of launching as well. So there there is activity around that sort of product. Your next step up, like I sold a little workers' cottage on Glen Street the other day. Those workers' cottages do have a heritage on their, their frontage. Um, that was a three by one that my sellers had done an extension back about 20 odd years ago. And we ended up getting that under contract for 9.30 within three weeks. It was within my appraisal range, but you know, there was, you know, we had 30 odd groups through and and 9.30 end up being where we end up on that one. I think that was number seven, Glen. Then you've got your, where people have bought the old houses and knocked them down and they've set up the 306 square metre lots. So there's a side-by-side type product. And that probably varies in price around the 1.2 to 1.4. Most of my buyers are coming in with budgets up to about 1.3. They're not wanting to pay a lot more than that. Although there has been some good results above that. I'm just doing the numbers here on my head. Uh, I'm probably skipping ahead a little bit, obviously with subdivision being our next segment. It's just, if, if you put a good product, if you if you bought a, a full block, a 612 square block, and it's an R30 zoning, I'm pretty sure, most of this stuff, split it in half, put a good product on there, there seems to be some money in it. Yeah, yeah, there, there is. Obviously, the product needs to be right. Done well. Yeah. yeah, and done well. It's frustrating when you see it's not done well, when people are trying, like obviously, people do it for a reason, that's to make a dollar out of it, but you know, you want them to, like, I, I speak. It can be counterintuitive, spending yeah, more well, to get more rather than spending want, less. And you want things to fit in with the the tune of the suburb. Like Derek, who's got the hairdressing place on Cambridge Street, Stark, it, I sold their house on the corner of Blenko and Woolwich Street. And that was, I ended up selling that behind Piccolo's and we sold that for 2.2. But he they used recycled bricks and polyconcrete and it really fitted with the tone of the area of course it would and, that's the sort of place and, where those things work yeah and to me that's what i'd love to see when people are trying to get development through to try and fit with the tone of the area that that to me adds do something a bit more custom a bit more thought not going through a project builder you can make some seriously good money uh, because people will buy your product if it's nice but you've also got people downsizing so you know there's a lot of product within the, the house so and that helps push the prices up as well yeah i don't think you can really overcapitalize in a space like this i don't think you can either i've got made a lot they're subdividing and and they want me to try and sell it as a bit of a house and land package. And we're try chasing a 1.7, 1.7. There's definitely, it's varying, definitely people that will pay the higher end of the, the ones for the right product on that smaller. Are there any other development opportunities in West Leadable? Or is that really it, the, the 612 into two lots? Yeah, that's it. Apart from obviously the new inner city feel that they're trying to do between Northwood and, and Southport Street, which is more for de- development in, opportunity. Institutional level. Yeah. yeah. And they're becoming scarcer and scarcer because the really nice old home, you know, that's 
been around for a hundred years, people are actually renovating them or yeah. holding on to those. Of course they are, because there's not many options. So they look around options. and go, I can't buy anything else. Oh, we, we, we may as well just renovate our own home. 31 Tate Street that just went under contract for a million and 35. That was a, a, a 612 lot. I actually thought that should have sold for a lot more, to be honest, because mm. of the, the lack of that sort of opportunity. And I've got a I've got one in Wembley at the moment. It's 1,050 squares and it's got a half court tennis court and everything else at the back. And I'm saying to people, there is a real lack of that bigger block that's becoming available. And I think that's right through West Leadable and Wembley is those opportunities becoming scarcer and scarcer. Craig, last question. It's a median house price question. What is it? Uh, I know it's a bit of a distorted number for this it's a, suburb. It's a distorted number in the fact that if you've got a really nicely renovated home on the 612 to 650 square metre lot, I've got buyers at $2 million on that all day, every day. Mm. And then you wind that back to in between. Um, and in between that, you've got that half block product that's selling between 1.2 and 1.4. And then you've got your your smaller, because there's so many different size lots in the area. So yeah. when you're going to average it out, you're going to average your 930 sale into your $2 million sale and bring it all in. And it's to very, one. It's, because of the low number of sales, it, it gets warped pretty easily. It gets warped really easily. Unfortunately, this is the game. And our median house price is about 855, it seems at the moment, it's on the numbers, so right? It's it is so, so wrong, wrong. But what could you do with that? Not what a would, lot. What would you do with it if you could? At 855? Well, I gave you 855 in your pocket right now. To be in the area. Um, you're not going to get a lot, to be honest. <laughs> you're not. Uh, you might have to buy a couple of those apartments. <laughs> Probably the odd strata opportunity. It's, it's along Tower Street at the moment. You know, my last couple of sales over there uh, there have been north of a mill. To be honest, there's not a lot that you can get. You know, you, you might pick up the odd two by one, but... They're close to land value. Yeah, it's probably going to be more, you know, an old ta- older townhouse. I have actually got a, a one coming up, which I'm actually off to go on list in a minute, On and that's a rear strata on Joseph Street, and, and that'll probably be sort of mid-700s. Well, there so, you go. Yeah, so your I found Your next something. listing, there I, it is. I found something. <laughs> Craig, thank you very much for your time, mate. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, Trent. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!